We're on the All or Nothing uh, series, which uh, we come to today in Colossians chapter 1, and it's all to do with proclamation. The word proclamation, I looked it up in the Oxford Dictionary, says it's an, it's an official announcement. We have official announcements of the declaration of war, or peace, or the birth of a baby, or a marriage of a royal, or one of the royal family. And the town criers used to go out before the days of radio, TV, and Instagram, and, and proclaim to the town an official announcement. And that's what preaching is in the Greek Caruso. It means to proclaim. So we're talking about 1 Corinthians, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And we're going to read that in a moment. Um, and we're going to look at what it has to say. It talks mainly about um, thank you. It talks about Paul being called to be an apostle, a servant of the church. <coughs> Sorry, back again. There we come. Where are we? <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I'll get used to it one day. Maybe. I'm going to read this, uh, just to keep you awake, I'm going to read this in the RSV, and you can follow it in the, in, uh, the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the divine office which was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. To them, God chose us to make known how great among the Gentiles were the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. For this I toil, striving with all the energy which, it, which he mightily inspires within me. For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face. That their hearts may be encouraged as they are kept together in love to have all the riches of assured understanding 
and the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God's mystery of Christ, in whom I had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech. I think the NLT puts it very beautifully. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ, hidden in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one will de deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. There's no greater privilege than to be able to preach him to those who've never heard. Man is a religious animal. He's always searching for God. That's why there are all the religions in the world. Problem is that in searching for God and producing these religions, they're reaching out to God, not knowing that God has already reached down to us in the person of Christ. He's the only one in which the love of God is revealed in Jesus. So do you want to have beautiful feet? Have you got beautiful feet? I've got beautiful feet. You wouldn't think, think so to look at them, but they, they really are beautiful. That's what God said about him. When God called me to serve him in Nigeria, 1949, I was reading Matthew's Gospel and the words, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers. And God said to me, Hugh, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And how are they going to hear without a preacher, someone who proclaims to the good news? How will they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So they are, you see, I've got good news according to Romans. So uh, I'm going to rely on Sam, I think, rather than lose my place. Thank you. So there's a chaotic part. Let's get back to Colossae and see what was happening there. I'm going to give you a little history, geography, background. Uh, first of all, um, he was, he's never been to Colossae himself. Uh, he, can you put it onto the, the map? Thank you. Uh, Colossae was on the great east-west trade route. It connected the Silk Road from China that came into the river Euphrates off the map, up here somewhere. No, can't, can't get it. There it is, over there, 
and it came through to Antioch or to Caesarea down here. Caesarea went across the Mediterranean, Antioch went across Asia through Phrygia over to Ephesus here. Another route went up here to Nicaea and Byzantium, which then became Constantinople when Constantine uh, removed his Roman capital from Rome to Byzantium and changed the name to Constantinople. So this was the oh the, the great uh, the, this was the great east-west trade route. That, uh, yeah, that's me doing. <laughs> the one furthest away, right? Okay. Uh, so this was the, uh, the, the the trade route that went right across uh, Colossi. If I can get, where's the where's the red? Can anybody see a red spot? <laughs> okay, the trade route came across here to Ephesus and then went across the Aegean Sea and out into the Mediterranean, or it went up to Byzantium up in the north. It came through Laodicea to Ephesus. Colossae was just a bit below. If you look at a, a Bible map of Paul's missionary journeys, you won't find Colossae on it because he bypassed it. Colossae used to be a thriving city on that trade route and the Romans turned, put their capital, um, moved their capital for Asia to Colossae when it was thriving. So the background of, of Colossae was their own mixture of superstition, sorcery, magic, astrology. Um, and then came in the gods of the Middle East, of Canaan, of Egypt. Then the, the Greek invasion brought their gods. Then the Roman invasion brought their gods. So they were, it was a whole hodgepodge of gods mixed up with superstition. And this uh, background caused chaos in the lives of the people of that town. And it also affected the church because some of their ideas came into the church and infected it. That's why when Matt uh, read the previous uh, verses in chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, you remember he spoke about the preeminence of Christ. Some of those things, that, it, that the ways in which Christ was preeminent, was directly uh, against the supposedly powers of these gods. For instance, um, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 1, uh, we, we read that through him God created everything. And Asate was the Greek, the, the um, Canaan, the Canaan goddess of fertility. He produced, she produced everything. 
Zeus was the Greek ruler of the Olympian gods. And in verse 15, Paul says Christ is also head of the church. Osiris was the Egyptian god of the underworld, the god of the dead. And in verse 18, Paul says he was supreme over all who rise from the dead. So that he counters, he doesn't actually lamblast these gods, he just says, look, this is what Christ is to us. He is supreme over everyone else. And yet, to them, it's been hidden. It's a mystery, hidden from generations. They're all mixed up in their thinking, in their, in, in their views of, of God and their superstitions. And they've not come to the truth. The truth is a secret. Boy, do you like a secret? <laughs> we all like a secret. Well, I'm going to tell you a secret that's been hidden from for centuries and all mixed up in the chaos of the past. And that is what, what we read of in, uh, in, in the next... Uh, in these next few verses. Verse 27 says, The mystery hidden from ages and generations has now been made manifest to us, to the Gentiles. You who've blindly followed these gods that are not gods, gods of wood and stone, They, they can't speak, they can't hear, they can't do anything. But you have come to know the living God. It's a secret, and the secret is this, that God loves you. You know, there's no such thing as atheism in Africa. Wherever I have gone, uh, amongst different tribes in Africa, not one of them has ever come up with a uh, with any idea that there is no God. They all acknowledge a God. Every language has a word for God, for one, the one who created the heaven and the earth. There's a lovely fable told by the Igala people in central Nigeria but to explain uh, why they follow the uh, spirits, why they are animists. Uh, they say that uh, in the beginning there was God sitting on his throne and the king of Igala, the Atai Igala, he went to God and uh, gave him obeisance and prayed to him, talked to him. And one day he began to think, you know, I would rather like that. I'd like to sit on the throne, have people come and bow down to me. So he sat on his throne and he said, from now on, everybody must come and bow to me. 
And so that's what the people of Igala did. And God was offended at that, and he withdrew himself from the world. And he doesn't speak to people anymore. And he is angry with us, won't have anything to do with us. But they're very conscious that around them is the spirit world. Good spirits, bad spirits. And they're f afraid of them. So the juju men, the, the uh, witchcraft priests, acted as a mediator between them and uh, the spirits. Told them when disease came to the, to the, the village, you must uh, kill so many chickens, give it to uh, uh, the, the, the priest to, to eat, because that's how he made his living. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I will encourage the good spirits to drive away the bad spirits. So the whole of Africa lives in fear of the spirit world around them, especially the bad spirits. They acknowledge these spirits. But to them, God is afar off. It's no good sacrificing to him. He won't hear you. He's, he's offended to us. Do you know, when you go and tell them, no, that's not true. He loves you. He sent his son in order to take away that evil and your pride and your anger and your sin. They are amazed. And when they receive it, it changes them. And you can see it on their faces. You can tell a Christian by looking at his face in Africa, purely and simply because he's no longer under bondage and fear. I like to think that's what happened here in Colossae. They changed. They had a changed presence. How did that change come about? It came about by them receiving Jesus into their lives. The people in Colossae also had another problem, a big problem, because for 300 years before, uh, before this time, there lived a very, very well-known philosopher in Greece called Plato. And one of the things that Plato said uh, was opinion is the medium or opinion is halfway between knowledge and ignorance. So how everybody had, a, had the, the idea we must get knowledge. How do you get knowledge? The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. And the people who sought after knowledge were called Gnostics. And if you didn't have knowledge, you were an agnostic. That's where we get the word from. They don't know. They don't know if there's a God. But a Gnostic, he is somebody who sought after God and tried to find the truth. And this was, had been going for 300, 400 years before Christ in the Greek culture spread across into Asia and into the Colossian church. And they had developed a kind of, their idea, their knowledge 
of who Jesus was was based on the idea that somehow God was up there, pure and holy, unapproachable. Man was down here in the dark, living in evil, not knowing where to look for help and hope. And in order for God to communicate with men, Jesus, they then applied it to the Gospels, that Jesus must have become an angel and then become increasingly less holy, less holy, less holy, less holy, until he could have finally be born, because all flesh is evil. And so Jesus was evil, just like us. And so his words meant nothing. They were just human opinion. His acts were nothing. They were valueless. And that, so the whole idea of who Jesus was was completely distorted in their minds and their thinking. And this was the seed of what became Gnosticism, which took over the, the, the church later in the second and third century. And this, it was here, it started here in Colossae. And Paul had, had the understanding that this was going to happen, this could affect the church, could turn it and make it, make it uh, different. So the result of that was that there were true believers there was Athanasius in uh, Alexandria in north, north in e Egypt who said, no, this is not right. God is a trinity. God is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Uh, he is just as much God on earth as he was in heaven. And so he wrote a, uh, a creed called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed uh, was a statement of faith. Um, Eusebius uh, took it to Nicaea, just near Constantine, and uh, presented it to the bishops and they all said yes. We agree with that, and so it became known also as the adapted somewhat became the Nicene Creed. I wonder, do you have you have you read the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed? I'm sure, if you're a good Anglican, you you would have done. It's because it's come down through the centuries and it's part of the Anglican Catechism, and it's not a bad statement of faith either. Let's, come on, let's say it. Or, what do you believe? I believe in God,
who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and who will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the original, it had maker of heaven and earth. It's now been changed. Well, if, he's, if he made it, he created it. Where else did it come from? And by the way, if it worries you, when it says the Holy Catholic Church, it doesn't say the Holy Catholic Church. Um, it's the universal church, the body of all those who follow Jesus. So there we have the uh, Apostles' Creed. Do you believe it? Yes. Good. <laughs> You're halfway there. <laughs> Only halfway. <laughs> because saying it, reciting it, doesn't make you a Christian. Now, I don't want to offend anybody uh, by saying that. But this is a statement of faith taken from the Bible based on historical fact. All right? If you believe that, good. James writes, do you believe that there is one God? Good, you do well. Even the, de the demons believe that and they tremble with fear. So, you see, believing that there is a historical fact doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. You have to act on that fact. If this is who Jesus was, and this is what he did, remember John said, and we beheld him. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him. We beheld his glory. They saw who he was. They saw him heal the blind, raise the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, calm the, the, the wind and the waves. Who is this who even the waves, the wind and waves obey? The Son of God. What else could they say? They believed, they followed. And to be effective, what you believe, you must then act upon and say, Lord, I am one of those sinners you came to save. You have to have a personal encounter with that Jesus. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a new life. As a child of God, help me to be one of your followers. If you pray like that, I can promise you, on the authority of God's word, that if you do that, Christ will come into you and live in you and change you. He can't do otherwise. The Son of God, that Holy One, the one who brought light and life and love and power, will come literally into your body and live in you.
That's why Paul said, this is the secret. This is the secret. Christ in you, Christ living in you, the hope of glory. He'll change you, and he'll change your life around. But that verse finishes with another phrase. And that phrase is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that needs perhaps um, a little explaining. First of all, the word hope. What does hope mean? mean. Well, we sometimes use in English uh, what we, when we hope that something will happen, meaning, well, maybe, I hope it will happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I hope so. But in the New Testament, the word hope uh, means expectation. Heaven, for the Christian, is not a matter of hope so. It's no so. Or as the, um, the, the New Living Translation puts it, Christ living in you gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. The other word I want to look at is the word glory. What does that mean? Does that mean that um, whose glory are we talking about? Your glory? Or God's glory? Or the glory of heaven? Well, I think that uh, it's got to it's got, it's got to refer to being taken to heaven and sharing in his glory. The glory of God in that place. So we share in his glory. So we, we sum up having dealt with our chaotic past having changed our present by coming into us and living in us, we have this hope of glory in the future. In a bro broken, chaotic Genesis 3 world of darkness and rebellion against God, who originally created a Genesis 1 world with a blueprint of what he, God intended it to be. He gives us the assurance that by faith in him who he sent to save us and redeem us, we can live through the cross, fit for a destination of a Revelation 21 world. Of everlasting life, where there's no more mourning, 
No more crying, no more pain. Forever with him. So, I ask, is Christ in you? Yes. The hope of glory? If so, you are not yet what you will be, but you are now what you used to be. Did I but you are not now. Get that right. Thank you. It's a tongue twister. I thought it was very clever when I wrote it down. <laughs> It's not so easy to read. No. <laughs> I will read it. I will read it again. If so, you are not yet what you will be, but you are not now what you used to be. <laughs> Your chaotic past is finished. Your present is changed. You have a glorious future. Assured that his life is in you and that is a tangible proof that you will go to heaven and that you will enjoy him forever. That's something to shout about. No? Something to proclaim, something to share with others. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honours of thy name. And this one who came and was there for the Colossian Christians, even though they turned away from it later, centuries later, is the same who can save you and me fit us for heaven. He's the same yesterday, today and forever and will be until he comes again. Maybe we'll be ready for him when he comes. Amen. Amen.